This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. John's Gospel, chapter 1. And we'll begin reading at verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, for those of you who don't know, we are in the midst of a a little series we're doing looking at the lives of the Lord's 12 apostles. And uh, so far we we have got through uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and uh, and Philip. And now we're coming to uh, Nathaniel or or Bartholomew. Uh, The both names uh, are used synonymously, and we'll look at this in a moment. In the four lists of the apostles' names, In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, Bartholomew, or Levi, should I say, is number uh, six on the list. Did I say Levi or Nathaniel? Where is my brain this morning? Too many announcements. That's what's done it. Except in the book of Acts, uh, where he's listed number seven. Always he's listed in the second group of four, which includes Philip and Matthew and Thomas. And interestingly, the only time Bartholomew is mentioned in the first three Gospels and also in Acts uh, is in those lists. It's the only time he's mentioned in the three Gospels and the book of Acts in the lists. And also when John addresses him, John always addresses him as Nathaniel, not Bartholomew. So we know that this is one and the same person because Nathaniel's mentioned in the same list, in the same order as Bartholomew, and also whenever we see that uh, uh, Philip got met the Christ, then he immediately went to his good friend Nathaniel and shared the gospel with him. And so we know we're talking about one and the same person. Now, in the New Testament, where a name is prefixed with the word bar, B-A-R, it always means son of. Son of. Jesus one time addressed Peter and called him Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, or Barabbas, son of Rabbas. Now, in the Old Testament, 
It's not bar that the name's prefixed with, but it's Ben. Ben, not Bar. We'll come to that in a second. But Bartholomew is a surname meaning son of Talmai. And so that's why it's called Bartholomew, but then John prefers, for whatever reason, prefers just to call him Nathaniel. Nathan means gift and El means God. So Nathaniel means gift of God, and that's what John likes to call him. Perhaps his parents, maybe they wanted to call him after Nathan the prophet in the Old Testament, wanted him to aspire to be a good and to be a godly man, which he turned out to be, by the way. Only John's gospel gives us details of his life, and it's not very much. In fact, we have just more or less read it there. But John does this, and we find out through this a little bit more about uh, Nathaniel and what really made him tick. Now, in chapter 21, verse 13 of John, you don't have to turn to this, this was after the resurrection and before the ascension. You remember those disciples, they were all disheartened and they thought the whole thing's gone, the dream's finished, and it says, I go fishing. And Nathaniel was one of those who went with them. But John notes here that he is Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee. Now, that little snippet of information will help us just in a moment or two. So the only place where actually he's spoken of in any detail is in John chapter 1, where we just read, and we're going to look at again together. Now, it would appear that, that Philip and Nathaniel were the very best of friends. In what capacity they became friends, we're not sure. Uh, were they both fishermen? Can't say for sure. Uh, did they grow up together? Did they go to school together? Did they know each other because they lived in the same area? But what we do know was they actually were good friends. And we also see that as soon as Philip encountered Christ, as soon as he came to faith in Christ, the first thing he did was to go to his good friend Nathaniel and share Christ with him. It's always a good thing to share Christ with your friends and with your family members. And it seems to be that here, when we have read so far of the lives of these apostles, it seemed to be when they met Christ, they immediately wanted to share him with others. We know that Andrew immediately shared with Peter. And it seems like John very quickly shared the good news with James. And here again, Philip immediately goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. The quicker the better to share your testimony, to share about Christ. Strike while the iron's hot, while it's fresh with you. Then go and share the Lord with somebody else. And so we're going to have a little look here at these uh, disciples again. It would appear that Nathaniel and Philip were avid readers of Scripture. And it would seem like that, that Nathaniel too would be greatly affected by the preaching of John the Baptist. Remember that John almost came out of nowhere, out of the wilderness, dressed in a, in a hairy camel's hair coat with a big leather belt, eating wild honey and locusts with a thundering message of repentance. And it shook the nation. And everybody was talking about him. And many went out to hear him. And many were baptized in the baptism of repentance and so forth. And it would appear, obviously, that 
Nathaniel and probably Philip too, uh, that they would be affected by the great preaching of John the Baptist. And he was the one who was ushering in the Messiah. So he would talk about the Messiah that was to come. And that really interested them. That piqued their attention. And so our friends and companions uh, has a great influence in all of our lives. And these two had great influence with each other, as you'll see in many of the lives of the apostles. Who you associate with is going to affect you spiritually. It really will. So make sure who you associate with. I'm not talking about who you witness to and who you share Christ with and who you befriend, but who becomes close to you. Make sure that you're affecting them the right way rather than them affecting you the wrong way. Companionship is a wonderful thing, but it does influence us. It influences all of us. And so make sure that those that you are with, that you're influencing them, especially for Christ's sake. Be around those who provoke you to good works. I think it was Henry Ford when he was asked who his best friend was. He says, my best friend is the one who brings out the best in me. The person who brings out the best in you is your best friend. The person who wants to help you and to encourage you and to bless you and to guide you and to pray for you, that's a good friend. Those are the types of people that will help you. And so Philip, knowing that his friend Nathaniel loved the Old Testament, he immediately referred to Moses and to the law. Look what he says. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Now this is a good way for him to approach his friend Nathaniel. Knowing that he loved the scriptures. Knowing he was well versed in the Moses and the law and the prophets. So the first thing he does, listen, he says, we have found him. The one that we have been looking for. The one that we have been looking through the, the law and the prophets to find. We have actually found him. And so he, he immediately starts telling him from scripture. You know, those who seek the Lord can find him in the scriptures. If we, if we seek the Lord, we can find him even in the very scriptures. And it's wonderful when you read the scriptures and suddenly you see Christ. If you begin to read the gospels, even if you've read nothing else in the Bible, you start to read those gospels and you can see Jesus coming alive to you. You can see Jesus in a way that you've never seen him before. And so the only Bible they had those days was the, the Torah, was the books of Moses and the laws and the prophets. That's all they had. They didn't have the New Testament that we have, so that's all they had to look back on. But they looked and searched to see about Messiah. You remember in, in Luke 24, how that after the resurrection, you remember how Jesus met those two disciples walking on the way to Emmaus? And how their eyes were, were restrained that they didn't know who he was. And so they were walking along and they were talking. And Jesus says, well, what are you talking about? And he says, are you the only stranger in, in Jerusalem? Do you not know about Jesus of Nazareth? Do you not know about this great prophet? In other words, if we were paraphrasing that, we'd say, are you from Mars? <laughs> Do you not know about Jesus? I mean, the whole country's talked about him. And what has happened to him? And then... 
In verse 25 of Luke 24, then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures and things concerning himself. Because they were despondent, they were heartbroken, because as far as they were concerned, their Messiah had died on a Roman cross as a criminal. And so they were heartbroken, they were confused, they were downbeat, and Jesus comes, and then he starts to share. He says, actually, that was supposed to happen. Do you not know that? And then he opens the scriptures to them to let them see that's what... And I'm sure, I'm sure he read Isaiah 53 to him, quote Isaiah 53, to let them know who he was and why Christ had to suffer. And so as it goes on, you'll see that they wanted him to stay with them that evening, but he broke bread with them, and as he broke bread, then suddenly their eyes were opened, and they knew who that was. And then they went and told the disciples, and then when the disciples met and were talking about this, suddenly he appears in their midst, in the very room where they are, and they thought it was a ghost. And he says, no, I'm not a ghost. Give me something to eat. I'll show you. I'm not a ghost. I'm not an operation. I'm real. I'm alive. And then, verse 44, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might, they might comprehend the Scriptures. And so... Philip goes knowing that they had discussed these scriptures many times, looking for the Messiah, looking for the prophecies, and that's the first thing he opens his conversation with. But then, everything's going well, everything's flowing, the conversation's great, there's excitement, his interest is piqued, he's thinking about this, and then, then Philip drops the bombshell. Philip said, it is Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. And as soon as he said that, Nathaniel's jaw must have dropped and hit the floor. That was not what he was expecting to hear. Up to this point, it was wonderful, thinking of Moses and the laws and the prophets. But then when he said, Nazareth, Nazareth? I can imagine Nathaniel saying to Philip, Nazareth? Come on, Nazareth, you're telling me he comes from Nazareth, the son of a carpenter, Joseph? I can't believe that. That's not in the scriptures. That's not in the prophets. That's not in anything. I've never read that before. Come on, what are you telling me? So there was disbelief, sheer and utter disbelief. As soon as he mentioned Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I can't believe that. You know what Nazareth is like? You know the reputation Nazareth has got? Surely nothing good could come out of that. You see, there was prejudice here. He lived in Cana of Galilee. He just lived literally just down the road. In a little village, Cana, a bump in the road, a nondescript little Galilean village. The only thing it was famous for was Jesus performed his first miracle there. And yet he's looking at Nazareth, and he can't believe this because the reputation he had was terrible. You see, Nazareth was on the trade route between Damascus and Jerusalem. So there's lots of traders would come through there. And you can imagine there'd be lots of taverns and all the rest of it going on in that city. It had a bad reputation. Surely God wouldn't send Messiah to be coming out of that place. 
After all, he would say, didn't Micah the prophet prophesy in Micah 5.2 that Jesus would come out of Bethlehem? He'd be born in Bethlehem, which he was. And I mean, if, if he was the Messiah and he was going to be the king of Israel, surely he would come forth from Jerusalem, the capital of the country, not from a terrible place like Nazareth. And so he's shaken by this news. In fact, the whole Galilean region was despised by the Judeans. Galilee was in the north, Judea, Judea was in the south. And I'll tell you more about that tonight because it's important. When you read the scriptures and, and, and you read through the gospels particularly, it's important to know the background of the day they were living in, why they thought like what they thought, why there was such friction between Jesus and the religious Jews, apart from the devil himself got behind that. But why was there such friction between them and the disciples and Jesus? We'll look more about that tonight. But there was a north-south divide. And the Judeans despised the Galileans. And all of Jesus except Judas, all of his disciples were Galileans. And Nathaniel didn't know at this point, but Jesus had spent 30 years in Nazareth. That's where he was brought up. The last three years of his life, it was Capernaum. He headquartered in Capernaum, but Nazareth was where he was brought up. That was the place. But he didn't know that yet. And so, 1 Corinthians 1.28, Paul says, God has chosen the base things of this world and the things which are despised that no flesh should glory in his presence. Just like God to have his son born in a little nondescript Galilean village. Just like God to have his son perform his first miracle in Cana, another little nondescript Galilean village. Just like God to have Jesus brought up in that horrible place of reputation, Nazareth. Why? Because Jesus wanted to reach into the broken people, the non-religious people, because he gave them a hard time because most of them are hypocrites. But the broken people, the despised people, the lowly people. That's why the Bible says the common people heard him gladly. And so, Nathaniel was not alone in his prejudices. That was a byproduct of where he lived and the reputation that the people of Nazareth had. We ourselves find ourselves and a deeply divided nation. Deeply divided communities. And there's a north-south divide in our country, isn't there? A big divide. There's even divisions in our cities and in our towns. There's Republican areas, there's Loyalist areas. There's Protestant areas, there's Catholic areas. And some of them, neither will go into each of them. So we're really, really divided. And it was no different in Jesus' time as well. There was big divisions between the people. And so Philip, not quite sure how to answer Nathaniel when he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He said, come and see. 
come and see. Meet him first. Just come and listen to him. Then make up your mind. And that was good advice. He didn't have the scripture for him. He didn't have the answer ready for him right then. So he said, come and meet him. Come and see. And sometimes we don't have a ready answer for people as much as we'd love to. But if we can just introduce them to Jesus, say, let's talk about Jesus. And as we begin to talk about him and people see the real Jesus Christ, it can make a big, big difference. And so they go to meet Jesus. And as they meet Jesus, he looks right at Nathanael and he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. What a thing to say. And Nathanael was staggered at that. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. In spite of his obvious prejudice, against the people of Nazareth. In spite of all these hang-ups, in spite of all of that, here was an authentic, a real person with no guile, with no deceit, with no hypocrisy. He was the real deal, the genuine article. Listen, having a fault doesn't make you a failure. I'll say that again. Having a fault doesn't make you a failure. And he had a fault. And all of them had their faults. And all of us have our faults. But that in itself doesn't make you a failure. If we give our lives to Christ, he can iron out all those wrinkles. And he can help us to straighten up the faults in our life. He doesn't reject us because of a fault in our life. But he wants to help us to through that. Behold, an Israelite indeed. You see, most of the Jews were largely phony, the religious Jews. Most of them were religious, were phony, to the most part, hypocrites. And Jesus gave them a hard time. Every opportunity he could get, he called them hypocrites. He says, you're of your father, the devil. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? Because sometimes we think Jesus making mild, you know, you know, butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. Let me tell you, he said some hard things to the religious hypocrites. John the Baptist says, you're a nest of vipers. You're a bunch of snakes in the grass. That's what he called them. Jesus says, for a pretense, you make long prayers in the marketplace. He says, you love to make long prayers so that everybody sees how great you are spiritually. They're only really doing it for show. He says, when you fast, you walk through the markets with a big, long face on you so everybody thinks you're so pious. He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Jesus was rough in those Pharisees. Paul said in Romans 9, verse 6 and 7, don't turn to it. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are of the seed of Abraham. In Romans 2, 28, 29, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but from God. So what's Paul saying? What was Jesus saying? That Nathaniel was simply not an Israelite 
by his nationality, but he was an Israelite, true Israelite, by his spirituality. He was more simply the physical seed of Abraham. He was the spiritual seed of Abraham. You know, all those scribes and Pharisees who were physically the seed of Abraham, but they weren't spiritually the seed of Abraham. They were Jews by nationality, but they weren't true Jews spiritually. They believed in the outward circumcision, but that circumcision of the heart that counts. And so Jesus says, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel says, How do you know me? How do you know me? The Lord knows everyone who seeks after him. He knows them by name. He knows them by nature. In verse 48, Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And suddenly, Nathaniel is instantly convinced that this is the Messiah. Because nobody else could have possibly known that he was under the fig tree when Philip went for him. Nobody else knew that Philip was going for him. Nobody else knew he was under the fig tree, only Jesus. And he immediately was convinced who else but the Messiah would know such a thing. And that must have been scary, and yet it must have been comforting at the same time. He was under his fig tree. Now again, understand that in those hot Middle Eastern climates that many people would have a fig tree or a vine tree at the side of their house and they would spread and in the heat of the day they could sit under those rather than in the heat of the house they could sit under the shade and, and mostly they would go there to think and to meditate and to rest and so obviously Nathaniel had his fig tree a place where he would go to read the scriptures, to have his devotions, a place where him and Philip, I'm sure when they met up, would go out to the fig tree and they would sit there and they would discuss the things of God as believers would do together today. And so in 1 Kings 4.25, it says, Every man shall sit under his vine tree and fig tree in Israel. Tell me this. I was a big question, a personal question for each of you. Have you got a fig tree? Metaphorically speaking. Have you got a fig tree? Have you got a place where you can get alone with God? It may be in a side room at your home. Maybe in your bathroom. If you've got a household of kids, maybe that's the only place you can get five minutes by yourself. Who knows? Maybe mine's, mine's my garage, which Johnny Brady converted into a study for me many years ago. So that, that's my fig tree. That's where I go to, to meditate and to pray and to be alone with the Lord and just be there by myself. That's, that's my fig tree. Have you got a fig tree? Have you got a place where you can go? where you can spend moments alone with the Lord and with your thoughts and your meditations and the Word of God. Have you got that in your life? You absolutely must have that. 
you must have a fig tree that you can sit under. Elijah had a cave. Elisha had a little room. Do you remember the woman of Shuman and her husband? They would see this prophet going past, and they decided they'd make a little lean-to in their house, a little room. And he says, look, you know, we put in it just a bed and a little stool on the table, and you can come here any time you're passing. That's your room. It's going to be a little prophet's chamber for you, and you can go there and just pray and be alone. We'll not disturb you. Remember Lydia, New Testament, how that Paul and Silas, they found her down by the riverside having a prayer meeting with some of her friends? That was her fig tree. That was her place where she would meet with the Lord and some of her friends as well. Peter, you remember how at the house of Simon the Tanner, while food was being cooked downstairs, he would go upstairs on the roof and he would think and pray and have his devotions. And it was up there on the roof, that was his fig tree. It was up there on the roof, that's where he got that vision of the sheep coming down. And that introduced the gospel to the Gentiles. God can speak to us anywhere, anytime, any place, but it's more than likely he'll wait till you're alone under your fig tree and you're reading and you're praying and you're looking at the scriptures. Remember Hagar in Genesis 16 and how that she had that child to Abraham and when she had that child because Sarah was barren and she had that child and then she started to despise Sarah and it really made Sarah very, very angry and very jealous and it got to the place where Sarah said to her husband, Abraham, I can't stand this anymore. He says, well, look, she's your, she's your handmaiden. You do what you want. And so she, she was very rough with her. And, and, and Hagar fled. She ran. And when she was out in the wilderness, the Lord came to her. And the Lord saw her there by a well. And he says, when did you come here? Why did you come here? What are you doing here? And she says, well, I fled from a mistress. And the Lord says, go back again. Submit yourself under her. Then he says, and I will make of you a great nation. Multitudes shall come from you, because she was pregnant, and Ishmael was born, and multitudes came from Ishmael. The Arab races came from Ishmael today. And there was a well there. And she named that well the God who lives and sees me. No matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, there's a God who lives and sees you. Amen. Sees exactly where you are, exactly what you're going through. Knows where to find you. He came to Elijah underneath the juniper tree in the wilderness of sin. He had ran from Jezebel and he comes and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And I haven't time to go into that story. You know it anyway. But he knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly what he was going through. And then Jesus not only saw where Nathaniel was, but he saw what Nathaniel was doing. I think that this is what clearly convinced Nathaniel about Jesus. And I think the words that Jesus used when addressing him suggest this. 
You are an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Then verse 51. Hereafter you shall see heaven opened and the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Ah, what does that remind you of? Does it not remind you of that situation with Jacob? And how that, you remember how Jacob and Rebekah, they got together to deceive the father Isaac? Because the father Isaac was wanting to give the birthright to Esau, who was the oldest, who naturally would get it. But God had already said, no, I'm going to give it to Jacob, the youngest. And then Abraham, or Isaac, I beg your pardon, he got to the place where he thought he was dying. He had to live 42 years after that event, but he thought he was dying. He was going blind. He was old. You know, he was feeling aches and pains. And so he said to Esau, his son, go out and, and kill me some wild game and make some of that lovely stuff, that food you make me. I love that. He says, because I'm going to bless you. And basically, I'm dying. I want to give you my last blessing. Now, Rebecca and Isaac heard that. Rebecca and Jacob heard that. And they decided, no, we can't let this happen. So they stopped trusting God. And they decided to take that into their own hands. And you remember how Jacob, because Esau was a hairy man, Jacob wasn't. Remember how he puts kind of hairy skins on his, his arms and his hands and all the rest of it? So the old blind man would feel that and think it was Jacob, or think it was Isaac. <sighs> think it was Esau. I need to get to bed early on Saturday night. That's my problem. And uh, you remember what happened, how he deceived him? Uh, and he got, he got the blessing which he, God had promised him anyway, and God would have gave it to him, but he got it through deception. And then whenever, whenever Esau heard it, he was absolutely livid. He wanted to kill him. <coughs> and Jacob's mother says, you better go to your uncle Laban because your brother's going to kill you. And so he says, go there until the heat goes out of him. Just go. And so he fled to there. And we don't need to go into what happened there. He got deceived himself, by the way. So, whenever he was on his way, he had to sleep. He got a big rock, he set it down, he put his head on it as a pillow. And he fell asleep and suddenly he had a dream of a great ladder that went from earth to heaven. And the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. Notice they were ascending first, so they're here. Yeah, there's angels in heaven, but there's angels here. We, we usually don't see them, but they're here to minister to those who are heirs of salvation, Hebrews says. And so he sees this. Now, I wonder, I wonder because of what Jesus said to, to Nathaniel, I wonder was that what he was reading under the fig tree? I wonder if he was looking at that very passage and thinking, what is that? ladder. What does that mean? And suddenly, here before him is Jacob's ladder, the Lord Jesus, the one whose feet are on the earth, but who can reach up into heaven. The one who takes the hand of God and the hand of man and brings them together in reconciliation. I wonder, was that what he was reading? I have a suspicion that's what it was. Because Jesus said, hereafter, you shall see. And so, another little interesting uh, thing about that. In Genesis 27, 
in Genesis 27. You remember how after he deceived the father, and then when Esau came back, when Esau came back, he realized he had lost the birthright. And he says, oh, my father, he cried, is there not a blessing for me? And Isaac said in verse 35, but he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. The word that Jesus used, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit, is the same root word that Isaac used about his son, Jacob. Some commentators say that what Jesus was really saying was, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no Jacob. There's no conniver, manipulator, cheater, fraud, no deceiver, no Jacob in you. I think possibly that's what happened in that incident. But immediately, immediately Nathaniel was absolutely convinced this is the Son of God. By the way, it took 20 years to turn Jacob into Israel. Remember after 20 years, he had to come back to his home and how he was desperately worried that Esau was still mad enough to kill him. That's a story in itself. But on the way back at the brook Jabbok, there, the Bible says he wrestled with an angel. This was the angel of the Lord. Some say this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. And he wrestled with the angel until the break of day. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the angel touched the hollow of his thigh, and he was lame on his leg from that day forward. And the angel says, from now on, you shall be called Israel, a prince with God, because you have prevailed with men, you have prevailed with God. It took 20 years to change him from that conniving, manipulative, deceptive person into a prince with God. And so there's hope for all of us, isn't there? God can change the worst of us, the vilest, into a saint, into a prince with God. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. Now you could read that a thousand times and think little of it, but consider this for a moment. It took two years before Peter could say, you are the Son of God. Remember Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Isaiah, some say you're a prophet, some say you're this, some say you're that. But who do you say that I am? You are the Son of God. It took two years before Peter could acknowledge that. And it took a revelation from the Father for him to do that. Nathaniel got it in 10 seconds. He got it immediately. You are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. <laughs> Notice how John, and I mentioned this last week, notice how John in his gospel always tries to magnify the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, his divinity. Here's another part where he does that. You are the son of God. 
Now, if Jesus wasn't the Son of God, he would have stopped him right there and says, no, 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 you can't attribute that to me. Because John the Baptist didn't want anything attributed to him that wasn't true. The fact that Jesus received that is another reason to believe he was the Son of God. To receive that and to receive worship unto himself. Remember Nicodemus, who was a member of the Sanhedrin? You know, one of the, the most theological 70 men in the whole of Israel. You remember how he came to Jesus at night? You remember what he says to him? Rabbi, you are a teacher sent from God. That's the best he could say. But Nathaniel says, you're the son of God. Not just a teacher sent from God, you are the son of God. Then he says, Rabbi, you are the king of Israel. You know, the Jews had waited a thousand years for a king to come. The great golden era of David was long since gone and they had been carted off by Nebuchadnezzar dispersed no temple no priests no sacrifices for years and years and years for 300 years God hadn't spoke from heaven the heavens were as brass no speaking prophet no writing prophet in 300 years and suddenly, God's doing something in the nation. Suddenly, this man comes out of the wilderness, John the Baptist, with this thunderous message of repentance, and people are repenting, and he's getting ready for the Messiah to come. Suddenly, angels appear in Bethlehem. A little baby's being born. God is moving in the nation again. He's speaking again. The king is coming. And Nathaniel says, you are the king of Israel. You are the expected one. You're the one that we've been looking for. Now we know that he was rejected. We know that religious Jews rejected him. But he was their king. He was their Messiah. He was their savior. And Nathaniel, an avid reader of scripture, a man who had been searching all his life, to know and to find the Messiah, here he's standing in front of him. And he says, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. You're the one I've been looking for. You're the one I've been searching for all my life. And here he is. Let me tell you, Jesus is the one that men are searching for and they don't know it. They don't know it. They're searching for something to fulfill them something to make their lives different and they're searching in all the wrong places. Who they're really searching for is the Son of God because when he comes in, everything changes. We find a reason for our lives. There's a purpose for this life and you find it only in Christ Jesus. When you're born again of his spirit and you're saved, then you find the life of Christ in you. It's a wonderful thing. That's all is said about Nathaniel. Other than tradition. Tradition says he went out like all the, the all dead preaching the gospel. And the reckon he went as far as Armenia <clears throat> and they say that there <clears throat> he met his death. 
Several traditions say that he was flayed alive. He was skinned alive and beheaded for his Savior. So that was 2,000 years ago. There's people today. There's people this past two or three years in the Middle East has been shot to death, has been burned to death, has been hung, has been murdered in cold blood, has been beheaded for Jesus. Still happening to this day. Now, God willing, tonight, and I, listen, I hope that you can come. Unless you already know all of this, maybe you're smarter than I am, I don't know. I'm kind of a bit dull sometimes, and I need to learn this. You need to know these things. You need to know the book you're reading. What do you know about Matthew? Do you know why he wrote it? Do you know why his is different too? Do you know why he wrote certain things that others didn't write? Do you know this? You need to know these things. Because then when you read it, it makes more sense to you. All right, so come tonight and find out about Matthew. Do you know that Matthew was one of the most hated? He would have been one of the most hated disciples because he was a tax collector. People would have spat in the ground as he walked past. He'd have been completely disowned by his own family. He would have been one of the most hated men in Israel. And yet he became a great apostle and wrote one of the greatest gospels, Matthew. Come tonight, learn about Matthew, so that when you read this gospel, you know I find, I, I'm a lover of books, and I have many, many, so I could tell you of thousands of things. But there's one or two books, and I have heard the author speak. And when you hear the author speak, that book's different to you, because his personality comes into that book. And you can visualize him saying it, and it makes all the difference. It opens up to you. When you know a bit more about Matthew, when you read his gospel, it begins to open up to you. Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk